0: Back to another edition of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. On this episode, I interviewed Eric Dvorak, and so Eric is a former Air Force civil engineer who came to the Cameron Brooks Career Conference in June of 2015. So he's been uh, he's been out of the military now for a little over four years. He launched his career at Corning in their uh, Emerging Innovations Group, and so he was working on new technology in their automotive glass business area, and so we kind of spent a little time talking about what that looked like. Actually, we talked a little bit about his conference experience, and then we talked a little bit about what that looked like working with automotive customers and kind of doing some of that, and then Eric navigated his career down to Fort Worth in Texas, obviously, and um, and he's, he's in a completely different division, and so we talked about what he's doing now, and then we talked about, you know, what that what that looked like from taking control and ownership of your career. And I know that's pretty thematic in these podcasts, but this conversation was just fantastic. He had some excellent insight, talked about exactly how he did it. And I think that as you're thinking about getting out of the military and you're thinking about uh, ways to navigate and manage your career, he gives some fantastic advice about uh, really doing a good job you're in and building your brand based on your performance, but also spending time um, um, building a network in terms of working with your boss and with other mentors in the organization, communicating desires. And so that's kind of toward the end of the conversation, but we really get into that topic and and how important it is to do both as you manage your career outside of the military. So it's just a great conversation. Really love the way that he approached... Um, some of the ways, some of the things he did uh, in the work that he's doing, and the way that he's managing his career. So I think you'll take a lot out of this one. I really hope you do. Um, if you want to know more about us, Cameron Brooks, you can certainly find a lot of information at our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Um, and if you want to, uh, and if you want to talk a little bit more about what a transition might look like through Cameron Brooks, feel free to reach out, reach out to us directly and we'd be glad to get you started. Uh, okay. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Eric. All right, Eric. Hey man, thanks. Uh, thanks for joining the podcast. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Excellent. So, um, let's start here. You know, I think that a lot of people don't know that there is such a thing as an Air Force civil engineer. And I think Air Force civil engineers obviously do similar work to, you know, just let's say civilian c- civil engineers. But can you tell us a little bit about what you did in the Air Force? Because you you did a lot. And so what are some of the things you, you did before you got out of the military?
1: Yeah, sure. So the Air Force civil engineer career field is a little unique uh, compared to the sister services. Uh, the Navy does have the Some version of it at the CBs, but for the Air Force, it's really for uh, deployed locations. So the Air Force weapon system, right, is the airplane, and you have to have a runway and a base to support that. And so it really drives the need to have a base and people to sustain it, especially in in austere environments. And so because of that, uh, the Air Force has the full civil engineering career field. Um, We have the bases at home duty stations and we have the basic uh, role of keeping up the base, everything from the roads to the keeping the lights on. And then also new projects, uh, looking at uh, big buildings or housings, et cetera. So I had a vast uh, different types of jobs when I was in the air force uh, during that time and everything from small projects to uh, running the operations team who did more of the future project planning.
0: Okay. And you also did, I'm just looking at your resume from the conference and just for everyone listening, um, Eric came to the conference back in June of 2015. So now over four years working at Corning. Um, But looking at your resume from the conference, you also did like emergency management and facilities. If I'm, if I'm reading that right, is that true?
1: Yes, that that was a very uh, interesting fun job when I was out in Japan. Uh, emergency management is is really thinking of the um, biological and chemical warfare that used to happen back in the day. We still have that. It's it's coupled and its partners are like the fire department roll under the same group in civil engineering. And so that was a I got to lead a small team of about 15-20 uh enlisted people to run that group or flight as we called it. Mm. Um in in training the rest of the base and then also keeping making sure the base was up to speed and ready to go if in case there should be some type of uh, attack that uh, fell under that biological chemical radiological and nuclear.
0: Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the conference you and I before I hit the record button here. We had talked a little bit about your conference experience. Why don't Why don't we just let me uh, ask you that broad question? Tell us a little bit about your. Career The June 2015 Career Conference, tell us a little bit about your conference experience. Yeah, sure. So
1: my conference was out in North Carolina and it, um, I had 15 interviews. It was a very packed uh, weekend getting trained and, and learning all about all the various different companies, most of which I had never heard of, uh, Corning included, uh, which is quite ironic coming back that I've now have been working for him this whole time. I had eight interviews the first day on Monday and then seven the second day. And uh, I actually um, had a very broad range of roles that I was interviewing for, everything from uh, production supervisors to um, Lean Six Sigma and Black Belts to uh, the role that I actually ended up getting as an application engineer and project manager. So it was a very um, broad range, and I think that was mostly – Due to some of my military background of having the team leadership, but then also having an MBA uh, helped me kind of posture me for a little bit more of the business type roles like the lean and the engineering uh, project management role. Um, However, overall, it was a a very good but intense uh, process. Uh, I did have a bit of a tough first day. I went one for eight on the first day, which is not normal or advised. Uh, It means that I got a little (laughs) bit more attention from the leadership uh, and a little bit more help to calm down and to just settle in and to get focused mm-hmm. and really use all of the last, better part of nine to 12 months of training and studying that I had done. And then the second day was quite more successful. I think it was like five or six or seven that I went, got all the mm-hmm. yeses and then started scheduling feedback. So it, um, it it definitely, for me, showed that you can go through some uh, difficult times. And that first night, I know it was a little tough talking to my wife on the phone of what's going to happen. And then just calm down and just take a breath and and move on and focus on the next seven and and that's what I did, and was able to get a couple of follow ups and then a couple of offers
0: well you and that's right, you received multiple offers so let me let me ask you this if you were going to give advice to yourself or someone else you know walking into the career conference and and you've already really said it, but maybe you can expand on it a little bit. What type of advice would you give, especially for that first day when you're doing a lot of interviewing? You're not getting a lot of feedback there in the moment. You're not exactly sure how you're doing in the moment. Like, what what would you say to to someone to to be more successful or to be as successful as they can be on a Monday?
1: Yeah, the, the Monday is a tough one because you have no idea. In that first interview, you think it goes well, and then you think you're rocking it and knocking it out of the park. And then you do get the feedback at the end of the day of what, what, what went well and what did not go so well. Um, so for me, I, I would tell myself, like, think of each one individually and that what mm-hmm. you just did in the last interview does not mean and does not just say what the next one is because the role might be different, the people might be different, and the company is definitely going to be very different. And so mm-hmm. I was trying to assimilate some of the types of roles and have that same, but look at each one individually. And that was kind of what helped me on the second day. Of uh, Fortunately, the second day had some very different roles. And so I was able to put myself in those very different roles versus the first day had some pretty similar roles. And so I kind of lump those all together and
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: to take one at a time and, and dust it off if something doesn't go as planned and just shake it off and move on and look at the next one and see how you can make yourself fit into that role in that company.
0: That's good. I want to take that last sentence as well, because I see a lot of this. And so, I, I you know, of course, I, you, you came to one conference, but after you left, I did another conference two months later, and then I did another one two months later. And so I get to see a lot of, A lot of this, and I think the your last sentence is really the key to Monday, and that is, and Tuesday for that matter. But Tuesday, for some reason, Tuesday is drastically better in most cases because people really get a sense from how to interview. But to practice, and this is what we're really working on with some of the candidates our program now, try to replicate and practice, um, you know, so they don't have to do a lot of figuring out on Monday. But the idea is like truly understand what you'd be doing in a specific job and then being extremely overt about your accomplishments and experiences uh, in the military relative to that one specific great advice there that one specific in the moment position uh, as opposed to kind of lumping everything together so very very good advice thank you for letting me walk down that road yeah Okay, so you mentioned Corning and you weren't exactly sure who they were and what they did. So can you give us a, and I know Corning, very large company, uh, and I'd encourage everyone listening to the podcast, maybe do do, do a little bit more research on your own about Corning because it's an excellent company. Um, But can you give us a little bit of a broad, I know this will be very broad, but broad overview of who you guys are and what you do?
1: Yeah, sure. So, Corning is a foundation of glass and ceramics company. It's over a 175-year-old company. It's one of the oldest companies uh, in existence in the U.S. And so, there's some pride and some um, joy around being able to weather through some storms. Uh, We are over 50,000 employees globally. There's actually more employees of Corning outside of the U.S. than there are inside. Uh, We're a Fortune 500 company. Uh, I think the latest number was 290-something on the Fortune 500. Um, we have five major divisions, and uh, I've now been in two of them, having had my last role and then moving into my uh, my current role in division. And everything from fiber optic to glass um, to gas particulate filters for automotive. So there's a very wide range, but it's on the, the base foundation of glass and ceramic science. And then using those uh, technologies to make products for the everyday consumer, everything to um, glass for the wearables and on cell phones and tablets, to big screen TVs, and then uh, obviously uh, optic
0: fiber. Gotcha. So when when you started, you accepted a position at the Corning Emerging Innovations Group. I think I'm saying that right. Is it Emerging Innovations Group? Yes. Yep, yep. Okay, and so and you started out, I think you started out as an applications engineer.
1: Yes, so the actual job title uh, at the career conference was application engineer, and then when I actually got to upstate New York, uh, they threw on the title project manager in addition to it because the, uh, we'll probably get to it in a minute, but what the group was, it's new business development, and so it's a very small group of people within EIG or Emerging Innovations Group. Um, and so we're trying to figure out what to do and how to take the product we have and go to market, essentially. And so some project management work was needed. And there's some gaps there that
0: um, they added to my role in addition to the AE role. So what did you do? Okay, I got you. So what did you do? And I'm I'm sure, you know, you're not going to tell us all the whiz bang stuff you were working on because it was you know, uh, you know, it's probably proprietary or maybe maybe you can give us an old example of a product that came to market. But uh, what did you specifically do as an application engineer and project manager? What did that first maybe year look like for you?
1: Yeah. So as, as I noted, um, the group that I was in was in the automotive glass Solutions, or AGS, which is a the glass group and for automotive that is one of the projects in EIG. So EIG is the overarching division, and there's a bunch uh-huh. of different small groups that fall into EIG. So the one that I was in was in AGS, and what we did was, at a very high level, essentially take the glass that Corning was already making for TVs, and we try to put it into cars. Um, both on the outside, so windshield and roofs and side windows, and on the inside, so your infotainment systems, your dash, et cetera. So my gotcha. role in that as an AE was to support the commercial team, the sales guys, from a technical point of view. So I would talk to technology, and I would learn just enough to be smart enough, and then go talk uh-huh. to customers and have that customer facing. we talked talk to uh, a range of customers from Porsche to GM to um, – most of your major auto manufacturers really around the world and we'd go talk to procurement to technology we'd show them what our product was we'd show them the innovation and uh really just try to sell them on what it was and get them to convert from their current solution uh, which is their current windshield that hasn't been changed in the last 50 60 years uh, and get them to
0: use ours and yours was doing cool things, and I'm sure that's as far as you'll want to <laughs> take that, but <laughs> yours was doing much cooler things than, like, the old-school windshield. Right. It, the big, big piece is that it was lighter and tougher.
1: And so it, uh, it's okay. uh, a quarter of the thickness, and it uh, is much stronger uh, with the stack-up yep. and the recommendations that we had. So everyday things from rock chips to brakes to everything we uh,
0: thought it was much better. Yeah, sure, sure. So you, but, but the way you describe, there's two things I want to tease out here. One, when you say customers, and I think this is an important point for folks listening to this who aren't currently in business. So if you're in the military listening, like notice Eric said his customers were just other businesses. And I think that's why he made a comment earlier in the, in the, in the podcast where he's like, I didn't really even know who Corning was. And if, if, you know, we go down and I'm looking at your interview schedule from June of 2015. And my guess is you probably, with the exception of the wine company you interviewed with, probably hadn't heard of any company on the list. Oh, InVista. I think you had heard of InVista before. Um, So two of the 15. And the reason is because almost every, no, besides the wine company, every company on your list had a customer that was not a consumer like you or me at the grocery store, right? Yes.
1: So there most of the roles that I was uh interviewing for in the companies, most of them were B2B or business to business. And and that's exactly yeah. right that our customers as we say in um in my last group was the car manufacturers. They were right. they were the big Ford's and uh, in Porsches of the world. And, and it's sure. the same in my current world uh, as well, and fiber optic, that our customers are telecommunication companies, their data center companies, et cetera. So we in Corning don't really sell um, directly to the end user. We sell a product to someone they it, or that's their solution. They then provide the service or product
0: to the actual you and me's of the world. And and that wasn't always true and for those, you know, who, you know, are a little long in the tooth like myself. I mean, Corning used to have a consumer division called CorningWare, right?
1: Yes, CorningWare is uh when I say I work for Corning to friends and family like, "Oh yeah, CorningWare."
0: Yeah, <laughs> uh, like so the baking stuff. still have stuff. it in
1: Exactly. Or or Pyrex is another big one Pyrex, that right. they know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. both of those were actually spun off and sold off. Uh, they still yeah. use our our glass and our technology. Um, but that is kind of the big claim to fame. And then we use that to segue into actually what we do nowadays with. <laughs> yeah.
0: Cause really you spun that up. That's, that's completely separate. That's not a part of your business, right? Correct. Correct.
1: It, yeah, it's okay. no longer um, under the
0: umbrella of, of Corning. I'll say GLW. Of Corning, Right. Okay. So you were, okay. The other thing I wanted to ask you about is so how much, okay. So you were partnered with the sales organization and you were, You were like the technical subject matter expert. The sales team would bring you in to the customer to kind of talk through the the technical components of whatever product. How much time would you say, maybe you can split this percentage-wise, how much time would you say you were talking to customers who were considering moving to Corning and you were working with the sales team and helping customers move over to Corning? And how much time did you spend after a customer decided, yes, okay, we want to adopt some of this technology, and Eric, we want you to kind of walk us through the whole integration, whether it be manufacturing or or whatever it might be, like, where did you spend more of your time, and how did that time split? I would say that...
1: Um, because I did have the role of project manager in addition to it, um, most of my time was spent on the latter than on the former. We, we did do a lot of customer visits. Uh, I traveled a decent amount of time. Uh, fortunately we were in upstate New York and so Detroit, Motor City, we flew out there a lot of our customers sure. were there. So a quick hour flight. So we could be out and back in a day or we'd spend a night or two. Um, but I would say anywhere from about a half a dozen to a dozen trips a year. Uh, globally, I did have a couple global accounts where, um in in europe and then some of my counterparts were going out to asia and so we, we did spend a decent amount of going to customers and talking to them but once they were interested or once they were converted and actually started buying test parts and working on it then that's really when the work kicked in of getting everything organized and making sure that we had samples and parts and manufacturing and and then supporting them once they had the parts and uh, all the back end support and that's where my project management's uh, role really kicked in, so I would almost say it's like about an eighty twenty or seventy thirty of
0: most oh, okay. of it on the back end, yeah, gotcha. so when you say that you know that 's when things got busy and kicked in, you were i mean were you you were talking to the manufacturing group making sure they had enough product and the distribution team to make sure that it was getting to the right place at the right time i mean was that a lot of the project work that you were doing, a lot of the coordination in that way? Exactly.
1: Working with the supply chain, who is moving all the pieces around, working with manufacturing to make sure they had the glass, they could do what they needed to it, uh, making Mm -hmm. sure that they were making the right thing, they had the drawings. And so that was pulled from my AE world okay, here's the drawings, Uh here's the spec. And then working with the actual uh, customer to make sure they got the part and make sure it worked and all the testing they needed done. And then if there's any technical support they needed or if something Um, They weren't, they didn't know about a test or we could help with another piece that it's surprising that some people in industry, you make assumptions that they have a a knowledge of everything. uh, But new to myself, we were all learning. So some of the people, even though they were car makers, um, weren't up to speed on the latest uh, technology or testing that had to get done because they had buying a windshield for 60 years from the same guy. They didn't need to think about what the regulations were. So we had to get up to speed Mm. and knowledgeable on those. And so that we could educate them and then say how our product works just as well or better.
0: Yeah, I want to I want to a little bit of a side and this is not about me, obviously, but just for a little bit, maybe for the edification of those listening. You know, I, I started my career in sales in a medical device um, sales role. And so my job was to basically sell products to, and consult with surgeons as they were operating on patients. and um And, you know, it was interesting, you know, I would bring a new technology to a customer and he or she, you know, in some cases were blown away that just because, you know, they're people are busy. Surgeons are busy. Auto manufacturers are busy. They don't there's not a lot of time to like, you know, go to trade shows and go to kind of here's the latest, latest and greatest. It's more like, no, no, I've got to perform surgery or I've got to make a certain amount of cars. And so, it really, the other piece of the B 2 B business-to-business that you said earlier is really a in, a in an education and innovation, right? We're we're we some you know some of our companies are striving to create innovative products, bring them to market um, to some places where they're just they don't have time to know what's really out there. You know what I mean? Oh, hands hand
1: down, and trade shows and getting smart and talking to different boards who are setting regulations and. Learning, and we have a group within Corning who specializes in that of uh, different avenues and uh, groups that do research. And so we can tap into some of them, but also for us, just learning and just Googling different uh, regulations for cars and, and now for optic fiber of what is the new industry standards and regulations that are keeping us and then how do we comply with those and or how do we beat the competition
0: or the incumbent? Mm-hmm. It sounds like that job, the first job you had at Corning, applications engineer, project uh, project manager, um, was very autonomous. I mean, I, I assumed you just, you you decided where the priority was for the day or the week or whatever and then you executed.
1: Yes, it was. It was very autonomous, which was both um, awesome, and I really appreciated and enjoyed that as my previous role. Obviously, in the military, you have a little bit more oversight and uh, yep. what, what the government wants and essentially what your unit needs and what you're doing. Yep. Um, in this role, it was very. but then the bad side was that I had no idea what I was doing. So I had to <laughs> ask a lot of questions, had to talk to okay. a lot of people. Uh, My supervisor was actually in Germany, and then I had a dotted line supervisor who was in our building that I could go and reach out to. Um, But I always had a supervisor who was not in my location and actually still true to this day. Uh, So communication definitely helped, but um, you do have to have some self-initiative to just go and start doing and asking and then sitting in on every meeting that I could get invited to or wasn't invited to and just Mm -hmm. listening for a little while and learning of what were the priorities and asking and then start developing what you need to do and how you can contribute to that team. Um,
0: hang on. Um, I wanted to take a note there. I uh, Man, this is such an excellent point <laughs> because I talk to a lot of people who are qualified to interview for a lot of different things, but they're timid to interview or have a timidity and willingness to interview for things because they don't have industry or a specific functional experience. But if if you think about your background for a moment, I mean, and and you you can share this. Maybe maybe this is a better question. I'm going to make a statement, and maybe you can expand on it a little here for us. But if you think about your background, Air Force in, I, civil engineer, going to Corning, working on high tech glass for auto manufacturers, like, dude, you had no training in this stuff uh, other than you're a uh, high potential motivated leader who can figure stuff out. And I think that's the, I mean, sincerely, that is the heart of why business comes to this non-traditional source of leadership, because you, you just figure stuff out and you're motivated and you're driven and you have an, an achievement drive, right? I mean, when you got to Corning, like you said, you didn't know what the heck was going on. Is that true? You're exactly right. That actually my
1: first, uh, couple of days and and weeks and months that it was okay i'm at a glass company i know nothing about glass i know nothing about (laughs) optics or performance or uh, how they make glass or i mean i know that i know what it is but uh, it's a whole different world and so to understand the tensile compression strength and thickness layers and how that all plays into um, performance uh, yeah i had no um, background the you hit the nail on the head exactly that it's just, you have a high potential to learn and being inquisitive is, is really um, what Corning was looking for. And then now on the other side of the table of what I'm looking for, that the, the mm. saying goes, you know, you can teach anybody anything, but you can't teach them drive. And so really pushing that. And that's what we look for. Of Okay. Maybe your resume is a little light in some areas or you don't know anything about our industry, but if you want to learn and you, have shown, and maybe your resume is all over the place, but that just shows that you're able to pick up a bunch of random things and learn them well, then that means that you can have a, a very short learning curve. I can get you up to speed on the technical side and then just let you loose. And then you can just run with it.
0: So good. Uh, it, man, that is, I wish I, I would, I, I want to bottle that. I'm going to, I'm going to send this web uh, podcast to a lot of people. Once we publish it, because it, because my experience is exactly the same. I was an army field artillery with uh, army field artillery officer with a systems engineering background. And I was advising surgeons on the proper use and implantation of products in actual live people in the moment. And, so that's the real heart of it for everyone listening. This is the heart of why JMOs are so sought after, not because of all your industry experience and knowledge, but because of your your drive and your, like you said, Eric, your willingness to be inquisitive and get up to speed and, and understand and want to work hard and want to develop. So uh, it's just, it, it's so good. And, and and I'm just gonna bring the, the career conference up one more time. Yeah, maybe it didn't go quite the way you wanted, at, on Monday, and you know it ended well, and you received offers, and you selected a great, good one, and you're down the road with your life. And just the the point that I want to make is the the career conference and your ability to sit in a room with a bunch of strangers and talk about yourself is not a predictor of success. Obviously, right? So uh, it's just there's a lot of main, a lot of core themes that that are you're hitting on for me for those listening that uh is just really important so very good stuff. Okay, let's let's keep going down the road here. So you um you were in Corning, New York for 2 years working in the AIG um uh or sorry EIG group, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. and then you made your way down to Texas. Now, I know you went to high school in Texas, but I think you grew up uh, an Air Force brat. Your, your wife's not from Texas, and so what was the driver there? Why did you make your way down to Texas?
1: Yeah, so it was actually twofold. Um, one of them was for the job, and one of them was for the family, and I had been away from my family since I left at 18, And so it had been more than a decade that I had lived in the same state, even as my immediate family. And by this time, I was married and had a few kids. My two siblings were married and had a couple kids. And somehow we all migrated back to Texas. And so we were all within a couple hour drive. And so having that kind of pull and that yearning for all the grandkids to be together. um, and, And personally, it was really something that I had been thinking about and wanting. Obviously, the life of a military person, you don't have that choice. And so at this time i had the choice and for the job my role was changing a little bit Um, our group was focusing a little bit more on the interior side so i got very project management heavy and working a lot more with the manufacturing and the supply chain side Um, and so i'd kind of come away a little bit from the ae side of what really brought me to that group Uh, and so i started talking with my supervisor and a couple other mentors that i had um, in our division and outside our division of seeing kind of what my boss did. He was actually in product line management for our group. And uh, I had been doing some work for him and I was interested in it. And so after a couple of conversations that I decided that that was the role that I wanted to go because our group was growing. So there wasn't uh, a lot of mobility within our group. It was you stay where you're at until we make this thing successful. Or, you know, if you, if you want to change roles, then you're, you have to kind of find somewhere else because they were only adding people and not moving people around at that time. And so I said, okay, well, I like product line management, so I'm going to explore that option. And they were all very supportive of it and uh, helped me look into the different roles and the different uh, groups. And actually, the division I'm in now is the one that my supervisor and um, and mentor came from. So they spoke very highly of it. And then the role was opening in either North Carolina or in Texas at uh, the plant that I'm in now, and so I chose the Texas location because of the family.
0: So. And there's so much to unpack here. Ah, <laughs> so good. Let's start with the job, and then I want to talk uh, talk about the the ability to navigate. Um, first, so you mentioned you're in a plant. So what what's your you, well, and, and, and you've even been promoted since you've been down there. What, when you came down, you were a senior product line specialist. What does that mean? What did you do? Yeah, so we in Corning, we have um, product line management. It's also
1: known as product management or product um, managers. And essentially, we are the group that owns the the four Ps, and we'll get into that if anybody's in business or MBA, or you can Google it. Uh, we, we're kind of the... the if you will, the CEO of the whole group. And so we push down all uh, decision-making to the lowest level. And so our product line management group, we own it and we work with other groups, manufacturing, supply chain, engineering, and technology. And so my role as a product line specialist was to really dive in and understand the very ironic technical but also specifics of our product versus my boss, who is the actual manager. She owns the whole P&L. And managed and crossed, uh, with other product line managers to make sure we we're supplying the right products to them and then also talking with the customers so i was I was a little more technical um, focused on uh, I say tactical focused uh, versus she was more strategic focused so I did that role for about a year and a half and then a couple moves and changes and a couple people got promoted to include my boss and so then I ended up getting promoted and and took over that role is now I'm the, the manager of having the full P&L
0: responsibility for our product line. Got it. So I, sorry, we're going to have to go back for a moment. I don't, I didn't fully catch that. So when you, as a senior product line manager or a senior product line specialist, not the manager, like what, what was your day to day? Like what were you ultimately responsible to do? I didn't quite understand that.
1: Yeah. So day to day, it's, it's um, very tactical day to day, objectives and so i was thinking very uh i'll say short term in regards to okay we have certain promotions that we're running or we have to look at pricing okay well, let's look at this one customer and let's, let's dig into some numbers for the pricing how are we going to adjust the pricing do we give a rebate do we increase pricing how does that look for that mm-hmm. customer or a certain market segment and then for our products, let's look at our portfolio. Okay, we have a couple products here. Let's look at tail management, some older products. What do we need to do with those? And really dive into those products and, and what that means. And then also on the, the operations and manufacturing side, I was the one who's picking up the phone call, uh, answering to some customers, but then going back and talking to our plants. Hey, where is this order? What is going on? Why is it late? What happened? Or, hey, can we pull this in? They have this request so i was very tactical day-to-day focused uh, for our product line um, our product mm-hmm. line there was only my boss and myself on some other product lines where there's more product specialists maybe they'll take one segment they'll take just a um, a, a specific product and really own and run that one or they'll take a specific market segment and own and run gotcha. that one. so we're very so tactical. when you
0: said plan i think that threw me cuz you what you what you're saying to me sounds pretty office-based, right? You've got a computer and a desk, basically. You're not chained to it, but you go there. Is that right? Yes. So,
1: the plants might have thrown it off that we are, I'll say, tenant units at the manufacturing plant. It's just an office building with the plant on the other half. So, the big building we own, but... Half of it is offices and the other half is actually manufacturing.
0: Yeah, okay, 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 okay. Yep. got it. Okay. So, yeah, you're doing, and, and the way it sounds to me is is more of a, I don't know, man, I guess I would call it a little bit of a tactical marketing job, not a brand oriented marketing job. But, but that's what, I think that's how I would define that if I was thinking in bigger terms. Am I on base?
1: Um, similar. We we do interface and do some marketing. Uh, however, we in Corning have a marketing group that supports us mm-hmm. that falls under mm-hmm. the umbrella of product line management. Um, and, yeah. and in the traditional way, if you go to a business school or just Google product line management that it, or product management, you do own the marketing yep. piece. But we peel yep. off marketing and pricing and a couple others. They have their own groups that fall under the product gotcha. line management group. So our big, big okay. boss owns all of those pieces, but in our actual PLM or product line management roles, um, we just work with them and don't really focus, but we do support. And then ultimately it's up to us. We direct them of what
0: marketing we need or what pricing we need and they support us. And so now, I mean, now that you're fully describing that as a product line manager, that sounds like a big promotion. The role you're in now that you took over as as your boss moved, I mean, that sounds like you've got a... It sounds like you manage a lot with a big number and a and l and a specific product line.
1: Yes. I, I went from an individual contributor, just myself, supporting my boss, and then working with across, I'll say across the table from our different functions, uh, uh-huh. then taking that product line manager role of now having two people work for me and then working still of having ownership now of the full P&L. And then now I, I report directly to the director who um, owns other product lines now as well. Right. So Fantastic. It, it was a it was a, a good promotion, but it definitely is very similar. It was luckily the same product line, so I already knew it. I didn't have to have that learning curve, but it definitely uh-huh. is very different of now having <laughs> to focus on having those two people support, uh, which yeah. is very different leadership than in the military as grooming them and having them as uh, high-functioning uh, employees and getting them where they need to be so they eventually can be promoted one day. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great. So um, so let's talk – now let's talk about the move to Texas, like the actual – instead of the job, more of the family piece. And so my my logical question my where my head is, like, why didn't you just, you know, forget Cameron Brooks and go find a job in, in Texas initially? You know what I mean? Like long before you came to the conference, why didn't you just look for a job in Texas? That's a great question,
1: and I would say it has two – it's twofold. Um, on on one hand it was because i don't think i was ready to move back to texas i had to weather one more winter in the north to realize that <laughs> i wanted to be in the south having spent two years in wyoming and then two years in new right. york uh, i was i was ready uh, yeah, and then on the other right. hand i i really used uh, camera Brooks and leveraged the the expertise as, as i was coming out of the military i didn't know what i wanted and so i i kind of thought maybe someday I'd go back to Texas and most of my family had slowly uh, migrated back. Uh, But I was, I was wide open. I was location independent. I didn't really care where I was going and then not after a couple more years and a couple more kids and a couple more grandkids and then really kind of getting that pull on, on us to be a little closer
0: to family. Uh, Did that not happen Mm -hmm. until a little later? Well, the cool thing is, and this is what I tell people all the time and you've said some things to to validate my point you know when you get out of the military or when you got out of the military and built a skill set and a network in a specific company it gave you leverage and you said you know you you started talking to mentors and ba bo- and your boss within the organization, so you're you're building and 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 creating not creating but uh feeding this professional network. you had a quote couple of conversations that's what you said they were supportive of you." And now you have a skill set in an organization. You have some brand equity in the organization. You have support through a network in the organization. And you basically navigated yourself to where you wanted to be. I mean, it is literally what I tell people almost every day when we talk about location. When you, when you build a skill set in a company and when you build a network, it gives you so much power. And I assume you're not leaving Texas anytime soon, but you could. If you wanted to, you could probably find your way back to Corning, New York or somewhere else for that matter, North Carolina, whatever. Yeah, True? exactly. <laughs> and
1: exactly. Yep. And that's, um, I would say that I was obviously hesitant to go to upstate New York. I had never lived in the Northeast. I'd traveled to you know New York City and a couple other major cities, but living up there was a, a, a great experience. And so I I did not have the need to where I wanted to go into any particular location. I interviewed for other roles in other states across the U.S., in Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, some other ones that were a little less desirable um, for me because I'd either already lived them. But you're exactly right that once you get into an organization, and and I was very fortunate that Corning is very um, understanding, but also the individual is one of our seven core values that we have, and it's making sure we take care of. And if the role you're in or the location you're in isn't right for you, and we know you're a, a, a great person and a great employee, then they are happy to help you figure out where is best and that's where for me the role was changing my attitude was changing a little bit I was getting a little less enthusiastic just because of where it was going and so I said hey I I, I really enjoyed my time but uh, I would really like to explore this other type of role and that's where they said great let's help you and then they hooked me up with a few people and then I ended up interviewing and, and got the job So it, it definitely
0: I, you have to do
1: mm-hmm. great in the role you're in and you have sure to network and and uh, do your best, but then if something does change or you're ready to grow or ready to get promoted, then you can leverage those and saying, okay, this is where I want to go. And that was one Mm -hmm. key for me of getting out of the military that, um, I had a lot more power of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go versus being in the air force.
0: Excellent. Okay. We're, uh, we're running long and I'm going to, I'm going to let you go. But before we do, um, talk. I want to hear if if you can share with us some advice that you've received. Maybe some of the best advice you've received lately that you think might be pertinent to um, to those listening.
1: That's it, two pieces. One of them, the most cliche one that I really did not like hearing, um, but it, I have found especially in the last uh, year and a half, in order to help me get promoted, is just do the best job you are in the job you have. Um, it was told me by a VP here in this group that that's what made him successful. And we all like to plan, and I'm a planner and trajectorize and figure out what's next, but really putting your nose down and doing a great job and making sure you're communicating and, and networking that. Um, but that definitely has helped me and kind of recalibrate. Uh, and then the other one is, is I think it's been mentioned on a few other podcasts, and, and we've talked about it here of networking and communicating yeah. what your desires are and making sure that you not only know people. But you're talking about what you want to do and, and leaving it open, and maybe you do know, maybe you don't know, but just asking what they've done and what have their careers been, what have they enjoyed, what, have, what would they do over, what would they not do, mm-hmm. and then taking all of that to help figure out what you want to do. Because, again, coming from the military into the, the corporate or private sector, it's very different, so I had no idea, so I just had to ask.
0: Well, there's two points I want to make. The first thing is these two pieces of advice are, on their face, a little bit contradictory. You know, it's like do the best job you have in the job, or do the best job you can in the job that you're in, right? Put your head down, chop wood, you know, build a build a name for yourself in the work that you're doing, but also network and communicate desires for the future. And so there's a there's a nice little balancing act there. And a quick story I remember I. I took a promotion and moved to san antonio from from Dallas when I was pretty early in my career and I was meeting my boss boss on it happened to be on a golf course could he like to play golf? I like to play golf, so we're on the golf course, and I remember being on the green toward the toward the toward the end of the round and and I had talked about you know getting promoted or what's next or you know my my desires and intention to move along and he's like well slow down there cowboy you know kind of thing and so and and I wasn't saying I wanted to get promoted tomorrow I was wanted to do a great job in the work that I was in and I was in my hometown so I wasn't planning on doing anything tomorrow but you know just wanted to start having conversation with him about you know things that I could do to move myself in the right direction and and so I feel like your advice is so good I end up ta- I frankly talk a lot about both of those points but i think that there's also a little you know there's a little bit of a balancing act in those things yeah exactly you have
1: to i think you have to do both um, but you definitely have to balance you can't only be talking Mm. about what's next and not actually doing your job you're doing but i've seen and and the fear is that if you're only doing your job and no one knows what you're doing then you get forgotten about and if if people aren't seeing you then they don't know who you are, and then there's yes. uh, very little potential or it's very difficult to then say, okay, I'm ready to get promoted when people are saying, yeah, who, I, who is this guy? Who are you? So you have to yeah, yeah. do both, but it definitely that's is a right. balance. You can't uh, push one or the other too far.
0: Well, that's really it. I mean, think about the Air Force, the Army, and the military in general. I mean, I, th- this may sound a little, a little um, negative, but – Promotions in the military are like a conveyor belt you do you not you do a good job you spend enough time in a certain role, and you 're going to get promoted regardless of if people know your name or not as a matter of fact, nobody knows your name except for the bosses you 're working for and they don 't have a lot of they don 't have a whole lot to do with your promotion unless you 're just doing a horrible job your branch manager or your detailer or whoever has and so it's just so different and and it 's a skill that 's really not talked about or taught a lot um and that 's why i've seen the same thing eric i've seen people. Getting to a role, you know, kick butt for a year or two, and like, okay, I'm ready to get promoted, but they haven't done the other side of that coin in terms of, of developing a network and communicating desires and, and learning about what else you could do. Because here's the one more thing, and one more point I want to make is, is at AI or at EIG, I mean, you, you left that group. You know, it's, like you were no, you were nowhere near on a conveyor belt. You went off and did, you're in a whole different group. And I think that's the, the coolest thing about it is there is no conveyor belt. You, it's like a choose your own adventure book. You decide where you're going to take your career based on the two things where, that you said, do a good job in the job you're in and network and communicate desires. It's, it's just a different, it's a different beast. Yep,
1: exactly. And, and, and that networking that actually a couple of the people who are my mentors back there, one advice I would say, keep in contact. I send them an email every couple of months just to let Absolutely. them know what I'm doing. So they still know what I'm doing. So I still keep in contact. And then also that they knew a lot of the now senior directors and VPs that I'm working with. And so it's uh, similar to the military in your career for this very big world and very big ocean, mm-hmm. but a lot of people know a lot of other people and they're very closely knit. And so they talk. So if you're communicating with your, Peers and uh, leaders, they're talking across the board to other leaders and other groups, and they're asking, "Hey, what, what do you know of this guy?" And then if mm-hmm. they say, "Yeah, I've been working with him for years, and he's a great guy," or if they say, "I don't know who that is,"
0: well, I just "That is so good." Yeah, sorry, I think I cut
1: you off. Go ahead. I just say that just it's it's making sure, like you said, you write your story, and it truly yeah, is a choose it. your own adventure. and which way you want to go, you can influence it. If you like what you're doing, you can stick around and keep doing it and keep chugging along, and and that's great. And Corning definitely has people that do that. Or if you want to sure. get promoted or move divisions or move locations, that uh, sure. it's keeping those two things in mind.
0: Yeah. We have covered so much ground, but this has been an, just an excellent conversation. We have We have hit on some major points that I know that I spend a lot of my days trying to teach and educate and share my experiences and with military officers who are trying to make, you know, hard decisions. Get out of the military, don't get out of the military. What should I do? And so uh it's just been a fantastic conversation with lots of great points, lots of lots of things that I think people can use and, and contemplate and, and and move forward with. So, Eric, my man, thank you very much for the longer conversation, but uh one that was very valuable.
1: Yep, nope. Thanks, Pete. Uh, appreciate the time and uh, good luck to everybody and have a great day.